Thank you for joining us for this Elevation podcast series hosted by the Colorado PGA. We're back with our 19th episode. My name is Holly Champion, and I'm the Education and Membership Director for the Colorado PGA. Let me just start by saying I'm really excited about this episode. There is so much emphasis on coaching the mental side of golf for today's athletes. Well, I was able to spend some time with one of the game's leading experts, Dr. Rick Sessinghouse. Dr. Rick co-founded the Flowcode Golf Academy and is the lifelong swing and mental game coach for PGA Tour player Colin Morikawa. How often have we heard that famous quote from Bobby Jones, the most important part of golf is the six inches between your ears? Well, in this episode, you'll hear why that is the absolute truth. Co-hosting this episode with me is PGA professional Corey Zoller. Corey is the player development director for the Colorado Golf Club in Parker, Colorado. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Elevation Podcast. Welcome, both of you gentlemen, to this episode. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Looking forward to sharing. And thank you, Holly. I'm thrilled to be with you guys. Awesome. So, um, Dr. Rick, let's go ahead and start with you and just tell me a little bit about your golf journey and how you got to where you are. Sure. Yeah, I was fortunate to get introduced to the game when I was about 12 years old. I played a lot of other sports. And then I had a friend of mine say, hey, let's go play golf. And I go, why do I want to play golf? Right. I want to do all these other sports. And then, you know, it turned into be my livelihood afterwards. So I got hooked very, very quickly. I just loved the challenge of it, loved being outside and uh, progressively got better and better. Um, played a little bit of junior golf, but actually ultimately started taking it very serious when I was about 16, 17. Ended up walking on at Cal State Northridge, which is a Division I school here in the Los Angeles area. Um, so played competitively. Then a- outside of that, just loved the game so much. Uh, became a member of the PGA. Uh, I've been coaching for 28 years um, and then got obsessed with the mental side of the game of, of what was uh, affect people's performance, their focus, their confidence, their emotions. Went back to school and got a doctorate in applied sports psychology and been really fortunate to work with so many different level players from beginner to where a lot of people know me is that I've been Colin Morikawa's uh, swing and mental coach since he's eight years old and seeing his journey to be being one of the best players in the world has been a thrill. So been very fortunate uh, with this game and um, the coaching journey just never ends. So uh, I continue to, to learn stuff and be able to, to apply that to all my different uh, demographics out there. That's a great story. Um, what other sports did you play? I'm curious. Uh, I played baseball, basketball, football. My dad was a football coach, so I played one year of uh, high school football. Uh, I played tennis uh, at a decent level. Um, So I I was really involved. It became very seasonal. And golf was just one of those things to do in the summer. And, you know, a good round of golf at our local course was how many balls you could find in the in the hills or something like that. That was kind of a success story back then. Uh, Then it became a then I became obsessed with score and tournaments and stuff like that. And uh, it went from just a seasonal sport to a year round sport for me. Nice. Really, really got you there. Good stuff. Um, Corey, tell us a little bit about where you got to where you are at Colorado Golf Club. Yeah, thanks, Holly. Uh, much like you, I'm a Methodist University grad. So go Monarchs. I, <laughs> whoop, whoop. I, Climbed the club pro ladder at a lot of really incredible private clubs. Um, 
really enjoyed that life in my young 20s. But as you get closer to starting a family, uh, you start looking for ways to stay in the golf business. And for me, looking to stay in the golf business in the capacity that I was most passionate about, which was teaching and coaching. So my lovely wife gave me the confidence I needed to commit to making the jump to teaching and coaching full time. So while I was still working as an assistant, I got specialized um, through the PGA in teaching and coaching. I did TPI level one and then Bryson DeChambeau is a member at Colorado Golf Club and came walking in the shop one day and introduced me to muscle activation techniques and Greg Roscoff and started to learn how your your body compensates and protects itself from, you know, ranges of motion it doesn't want to go into. So that interested me a lot. And I knew I wanted to put that into my coaching somehow. Um, got certified in muscle activation techniques in the lower body kind of late to 2021. And that's when uh, the opportunity to become the director of player development came to be. Um, you know, player development is a very old term in the PGA. And director of player development is a very new title in the business. So I really have to give a big thanks to Graham Cliff and the board of Colorado golf club for being so ahead of the curve and wanting to offer their members, you know, additional tools on top of just traditional swing instruction. So um, the mental game was kind of the last piece of the puzzle that I really wanted to understand and was introduced to Rick after he, you know, Colin won the open and I discovered his podcast over the winter and I had so much fun listening because a lot of the physical tension that I was helping my clients build an awareness of from, you know, a range of motion perspective, I realized there's also a lot of mental tension that manifests itself in a physical way. So when I listened to, I, I think I binge listened to all of the podcast all at once and <laughs> immediately reached out to Holly um, and wanted to reach out to Rick to see if he'd talk to us about the flow code and the mental training and, hopefully share with the rest of the section because it's done wonders for me it's been validating knowing that some of the things i've been teaching have some root in science so i'm thrilled to get to talk to rick and be here with you thank you so much All for right. having me good That's stuff awesome. Corey. i i think you're such a, a great example of a success story with someone who's passionate about instruction you are able to pursue that at a high level club and I think I'm excited to hear that you are loving that position so far. And I think you're going to do great things at CGC. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's an incredible place, a lot of incredible people. And the more I get to kind of ingrain myself in this industry, you know, the golfing, the golf teaching and coaching side, getting to meet people like Rick, boy, it's just a dream come true to, to get to do it in a place like that and meet folks like yourself. That's so cool. Cool story. Well, I, Corey, you bring up a good point of mental tension, right? Who knew? Golf's a mental sport? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, Rick, I'm curious, what do you see as the biggest mental challenges that plague athletes? Sure. Yeah. And, and along those lines is whenever I uh, meet a new client or give a speech, I ask three basic questions is one, uh, and this is to all the listeners, is the mental game of golf important? Everybody answers yes, they always do. Uh, question number two is, do you currently train the mental game? Everyone says no. So now we have a disconnect. We know it's important, but we don't train it. Now, if I said, is hitting a driver important in golf? People would say, of course. I said, do you train it all, all the time? Every Saturday, I'm working on my swing, right? So there's a, there's a, a direct correlation. So most people, I don't think train it because they're not really quite sure what it is 
And so you can't train something if you can't define it. So the third question, which is kind of along what you're asking is, you know, what the heck is the mental game in the first place and where we can start from there? So there's many, many answers to this. But when when I look at it, um, I look at the big three, which is our ability to focus in the present moment on what's relevant. Uh, I look at confidence, our belief, I can actually hit the shot in front of me. And then the third one is manage my emotions throughout a round of golf because emotions, as Corey knows this, will show up in my body. So if I'm frustrated, which unfortunately I played a lot of golf frustrated in my life, that would lead to tension and grip pressure and my body will move faster. So emotions are very important. So I ask people, so do you want to be focused, confident, and calm on the golf course? They go, yes, yes. And I go, or do we want to be distracted, have doubt, and have tension? And of course, they go, oh, man, that's like half my golf. So I'm having people understand there's a cause and effect relationship between the state we're in. So I talk about mental, emotional, physical state, okay? And then the thinking processes that go along with that. So I know that's a a bigger answer than you what you wanted, but there is interference with distractions. There's doubts, there's fears that get in the way of us playing our best golf. But I think I, I think Corey also would understand that we want our players to enjoy this game more, right? I mean, they beat themselves up and they're like exhausted off the. And it's like, why do you play this? And some of them they I don't know anymore. I mean, they're just you know so. I would, I want to create routines, whether it's pre-shot routine, post-shot routine, pre-round routines to help people, yes, enjoy the game. But part of that is, of course, play better golf and let's get focused. Let's get confident. Let's manage our emotions. So um, there's a lot of ways we can go dig deeper into all those, but those, that's how I look at the mental game. Yeah, I love that, Rick. Um, as that, the reason I love the title of player development is that you get to help people develop the mental and physical capabilities that make golf more enjoyable, where so often people think they need to have a perfect swing. The, the number one answer I get when I ask, what's your goal? It's to hit the ball perfect every time. I want to be consistent. I want to, and then I can enjoy the game and then I'll shoot better scores. And we know as coaches that there are people with awful looking golf swings that don't even necessarily hit one solid golf shot in the round, but they can position themselves around. They're enjoying themselves. And what I like so much and, and how you profess so, so beautifully is that when golf is more enjoyable and when you have those tools to create an awareness, the mechanics of the swing start to kind of fall into place when that tension disappears and you can get them to that mechanically sound position a, a different way that doesn't yes. burn so much mental energy and cause more confusion and tension. No, and you said a key word that I want to kind of piggyback on is awareness, right? So when we put somebody in a certain position in their golf swing, we, of course, want them to be aware of the position. When you do muscle activation, you're having them become aware of a certain body part or feel. And you and I are also trying to create awareness in thought patterns and how that makes us feel and where's my attention going on that. That's a skill. And that needs to be developed. And and so uh, I, that's where it all starts with is self-awareness in the first place. So, Rick, to build on that, you talk some about the mindset and the flow and kind of the relaxation. You know, you're losing your lack of tension and things like that. How do you know? So if I'm a golfer, I'm going to go out 
obviously, you know, when you're like in the zone, right? You're going to play really great. You're hitting fairways and greens. You may have one errant shot here or there, but it's really not that detrimental to your experience or your score. How do you know when you get to that point and how do you capitalize on that? Yeah, I think it's first where I ask one of my first questions when somebody fills out a little assessment for me. I, I believe we've all been in a flow state before on and off the golf course. And I want somebody to come up with their own, what triggered that, what's the recipe for success. And I think everybody has a slightly different recipe. So I would ask all the listeners, hey, when you played your best golf, what were you thinking, feeling and doing? And sometimes it's the simplest answers. Rick, I was relaxed, I got a good night's sleep. I got paired with my buddies. Um, I had this nice, simple swing thought that I just had good balance all day long, or I was thankful that I wasn't working right now. And they start getting into this very simple stuff to put them in a mindset of mindset is how I perceive something. I'm looking at it. It was already starting it in a good spot. Right. And then sometimes it's within there hitting good shots to go, wow, man, I was really, I had that great lesson from Corey and we worked on this one thing that really helped me. And all I did was focus on that. And that helped me with my confidence. Right. I don't think there's, there's a huge like mystery out there. Okay. I believe we already know what helps us get into the state. What happens though, is that we have a lot of interference that could get in the way of it, that we don't have strategies to bring us back. So we talked about being relaxed or calm. How many of the listeners out there actually use breathing as a conscious way to regulate focus, regulate our physiological response? Probably not many, or they'll tell me, I take a deep breath and I go, okay. Um, but is that really have an intention behind it, right? So Corey, Corey and I may wrap in and say, hey, let's do a smooth inhale three, exhale four breath before you get into the shot. That will help get you more into a relaxation response, help you focus. Oh, really? I can consciously think about, yeah. Instead of thinking about don't go in the water, maybe you should focus on the breath. Maybe you should focus on, hey, what's a good shot look like here? Wow, look at that visualization. I can see that ball. It's like a shot tracer. It goes out there and I lose myself in the focus. Flow follows focus. So what Corey and I do is we help golfers focus better on what's relevant. And I don't want to say get excited, but I can't wait to hit that shot now. I'm looking forward to that. The opposite, which is more fear-based, is, oh, boy, don't do that again. And there's that bunker over there I was in yesterday. And that creates now tension. And the tension gets in the way of the swing. The swing looks like you're chopping wood. And then and then you blame the swing, though. That's the problem. Then you blame Corey with this. It's like, my swing's wrong. It's like, no, you were in a different state. So let's let's train the state. So I think everybody knows what it's like to feel it. I think if they ask themselves what led to that, common things I get was, hey, I was relaxed. You know what? I managed my expectation. I just went out there to have fun. It wasn't about I have to shoot a certain score. I have to do this. And you're already setting the stage to allow yourself to make a few mistakes and to hit some good shots. And so, you know, I believe everybody has their own recipe for success. We as coaches are just trying to find out what their ingredients are. Very cool. So, Rick, I, I was uh, fortunate enough to find your Top 100 Summit presentation, and you had a really cool story about where you taught and how you've had this unique opportunity to spend a whole lot of time on the golf course. So I was really curious what kinds of games or what kinds of situations you'll take your players through to kind of 
as I like to call it, kind of squeeze them and, and poke them and prod them and see what kind of <laughs> reactions they have so that we can create that awareness that you were talking about. Because if you're unaware that you have these reactions, it's very hard to put a plan in place. So I'd love to know what kinds of things you do on the golf course that help sort of exactly. create yeah. that awareness for the players. Exactly. And, 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 and the PGA pros out there, you know, I, I know you don't always get access to the course like I got to. So I'm, I'm putting that out there right now is that, you know, where that, where I've shared that before is a lot of people are asking about, Hey, how did you develop Colin Morikawa from the age of eight to where he is at now? And I was extremely fortunate to be at a, a golf course at the time that allowed me to go on the course whenever I wanted literally we hop in a cart and go and um so 70 percent of colin's uh lessons were done on the golf course they weren't done on a range they weren't done on videoing every single swing they weren't done hey let's put a track band and make sure our numbers are correct it was playing it was situational it was variability it was uh some pressure it was some games and so how i framed the one hour would be i would put him in different situations and we would hit three shots from the same spot. The first one, he got to choose the shot. So let's say he's in the right rough. It's an uphill uh, par four, second shot. He would say, hey, Rick, I'm going to hit my five iron. I'm going to aim it over here. He'd have to call the shot out, by the way. He'd have to give me an intention. This is what I want. Okay. He'd hit the shot. Whether it was good or bad was actually irrelevant. It was, what did you learn from the shot? Will you do anything different? Will you choose a different shot? Will you choose a different club? Will you aim somewhere? And that was just me trying to help somebody. Um, it's called a feedback loop for me, pattern recognition. How quickly can I look at this situation and make a change? Now, as a when I was a younger coach back in my early 20s, I called myself an instructor. And unfortunately, I just told people what to do. Just do this, do this, do this. That to me is not coaching. Now I coach, I interact, I ask questions, I want them to problem solve for themselves. So he would do the second shot now. Then I would say, whether it was good or bad didn't matter. I'd say, hey, Colin, here's the third shot. This is how I look at the shot. Did you notice that that, that club got grabbed a little bit um, in the rough, went low left? Let's take more loft on this one. Let's put open the face up. Let's put the ball position back because you're going to get the ball first. And now we're problem solving together. Uh, wasn't about me saying something was better, good or bad. It was about problem solving. Go, oh, Rick, I never thought about it that way. Now, when he's 8, 9, 10, 11, of course, he's learning a lot from me. I always said, hey, I'm putting my, my experience into his brain. But as he got older... And this is for all my players, by the way, as they get older, more experienced, they start teaching me new shots because then I say, hey, what are you going to do on this? And they go, I'm going to hit this open face, da -da -da, I'm spinning. I go, holy smokes, I never thought about it that way. Your solution is much better than my solution. OK, so that's where the interactivity of on the golf course playing lessons was so valuable is that I could it was like a playground. I could put them in different situations. Um, I could have them. What are my players thinking about it? Um, I have one of my extra simple exercises. Hey, what does a good shot look like here? Seems like a very simple question, everybody. But what I get is a lot of wishy-washy answers. So I get, hey, what does a good shot look like here? And they go, well, Rick, uh, I don't want to go in the bunker. I go, well, I thought I asked you what a good shot would look like. And, and then it becomes, well, Rick, I'm going to try to hit the green and maybe it'll go over there. And I'm going, try, maybe. 
And so I push back at their language a lot. And I want them to be specific. Hey, Rick, I'm hitting a full seven iron, 15 feet left of the hole. Um, I'm going to hit a little baby fade. It starts at that palm tree, comes back here. It lands at 162 yards. I go, now we got something. Okay. So when they call it out, they start realizing how committed they are to the shot, how confident they are to the shot. And it's like having a caddy there, right? So part of that process is certainly helping them make better decisions. Okay. And then at the end of every single session, I don't care if it was Colin or somebody else, I would compete against them. Okay. And I love, and I love to trash talk. I, that's part of a coach. I want to push and say, okay, let's see who gets closest right now. All right. And what made Colin different than other juniors at his age is that he always took on the competition. He said, okay, let's go. And he wasn't a trash talker. He's like, okay, fine. But I'd have other juniors say, that's not fair, Rick. You're a pro. Okay. So I find out mindset real quick too. Who wants to take on the challenge? Who wants to take on the competition? And other people are already giving me an excuse beforehand. So it was a great way to do that. And then, yes, I am competing. I'm trying to put pressure on him or my students to see, does their state change now? Do they become more tense? I have some people who actually play better in competition. They they actually perform better. They focus better because it means something to them. So that was how I did most of my sessions. I still, to this day, I'm only at a golf course a couple of days, maybe a week if I'm in town, but I still am on the golf course. I'm still having people understand the variables and making decisions and trying new things. And instead of being critical, like that's bad, that's wrong. So that's part of it. Competition, I think is important. Creativity is important. So that's how I go about a lot of my coaching on the course. That's great. Rick, you also mentioned pre-shot and post-shot routine. Now, I when I remember when I grew up, I thought you don't hit the ball with your pre-shot routine. But that does, why would I waste my time with that? And then as you get older, you realize getting yourself into the mental state to approach the shot with confidence affects the tension level quite a bit. So what are the elements of a good pre-shot routine in the lens of, and I, I, I love the, the word lens that you've used um, in the podcast and, and with your training to, to help people get into that mindset to, to approach the shot and be confident in it. Sure. No, and you said a key word there is, is one reason why we do a pre-shot routine is to be confident, right? And so I think there's some different components to a proper pre-shot routine, which one is focus. What am I paying attention to in this moment? Okay. Am I paying attention to the lie and the wind and the, how firm the screen is and that, that would be one relevant, or am I focusing on, oh my gosh, my playing partner just knocked it close. I, oh, don't hit it over the water. Right. There could be things that are maybe irrelevant that would interfere. So I think the first part of a pre shot routine is training focus. I do that through asking a lot of questions. Hey, how is this lie going to affect the ball? How far is it from here to the hole? How firm is this green? The more questions we can ask in the present moment, the clearer we can get of what is the actual shot. So that's part of focus. Next part is confidence, as you mentioned, is what can I do in those 20 to 30 seconds that would lead to me believing I can actually execute the shot I just decided on? right? That's a whole other ball game, isn't it? It's one thing to say, yeah, Rick, this is a five iron to the left side of the green. But then the next thought goes, but I'm horrible at five irons. 
I can have the greatest focus in the world and that's the decision. But then the next voice is, you're not very good at that. Okay, so now confidence. Where do we get confidence from? That a whole other podcast could be on. But confidence comes from past results. So let's remember a great five iron we hit in the past. What did that feel like? What did I see? It comes from self-talk. And this is not raw, raw self-talk. I'm the greatest five iron player in the world. It could be, have I hit good five irons before? Well, yes. Okay, I got this. Let's hit it over here. Visualization. I see my shot going over there. That can help our our confidence. Something like with what you do with developing players is you help them practice better. I feel practice can help our confidence. Preparation can help our confidence. But in the moment, it's about remembering past great shots, seeing success in front of us, positive to neutral self-talk, and even how we carry ourselves. This is what I love for juniors, by the way, is you can see somebody who's confident, can't you? Okay. So back in the day, um, when, when I got to see Tiger play a lot in person, I mean, there's a guy who's got an aura about him, right? Shoulders back, eyes up, boom, right? Okay. And now today you might see like a Brooks Kepka who's got a certain strut to him, right? Okay. You carry yourself with confidence is a big part of this. So a, a pre-shot routine is certainly about making a decision. We make decisions through proper focus and proper um, questions. Confidence, I believe I can do that. And then the last part, which those first two then lead to is the physical state, which you know so well, Corey, is what's the state I want to be in on this? I don't always use the word relax, but some people may. I want to be relaxed. How am I going to be relaxed? Maybe I do a breath. Maybe I do a practice swing at half speed to just feel being relaxed. Okay. But now we're actually being very conscious with the 20 to 30 seconds instead of saying, I just shot the number. It's 150. It's about okay. I don't really like that number, anyways. Let's just hit the shot. And, And we see physical routines all the time. But not many people have mental routines of where their thoughts are going, where their attention's going, and so on and so forth. So um, there's a lot of layers underneath that. For instance, visualization is an important part of a pre-shot routine for me. But another person, it could be practice swings. Gosh, if I have a good practice swing, man, that makes me feel confident. Awesome. Okay. Everybody can figure out their own pre-shot routine. So I don't know if you have anything else to, to share on, on pre-shot routine, um, but I think it's something we can develop and something we can train. No, I think that's great. And the, the word post-shot routine was something that I was introduced to from your podcast. And it was another one of those light bulb moments of, man, when I used to hit bad shots, I would go, la, 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 don't want to think about it. I, I had trouble with putting for many years where I would get a little flinchy there. And it's, you know, having a, an effective post-shot routine is something that right away when I introduce that to, to some of my students, they go, whoa, I never even heard that term before. And I guess, yeah, I do just get really mad at myself and say all kinds of judgmental things. And I'd love for you to open everyone else's eyes as you did mine, the importance of that post-shot routine and what kinds of things you can take away that will actually turn a negative swing into a learning experience versus something that can build more and more attention if you kind of lose touch yeah. it and it gets out of control. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and, and thanks for bringing this up because this is probably one of the most passionate parts of the mental game that I like to coach is because unfortunately, when I played competitive golf in college, I was a hothead. Uh, I was a very frustrated golfer. I hit a poor shot, slam the club down, say some choice words, and then 
literally be miserable, right? And and I had a, a couple wake up. I had a wake up call. I was probably 20 years old at the time. I was playing with a mentor of mine. She was a PGA member and she was a, just very influential in my life. We played golf. And afterwards she says, I'm never playing golf with you again. I go, what are you talking about? We're friends. I'm a good player. You're miserable. You're making it miserable for everybody else here. And it was my wake up that my reaction, my attitude was affecting everybody else in my group. Okay. So that was my big wake up call. But back to when like I was a football player, you make a bad play or whatever, you just get up to the next try and maybe you rip somebody's head off. Maybe you run around a little bit. You can let out some of that emotion. I did not honestly know how to channel that on the golf course. And so I thought hitting a bad shot and showing everybody how much I cared and how I slammed clubs, that that was going to prove something to other people. Unfortunately, obviously it was a detriment to my game. And so now I want to turn what most people is this result now creates an immediate trigger of judgment. That's a good shot. That's a bad shot. Well, if it's a bad shot, then that means I stink and I can't believe I take all this time and resources for this game and I still can't be good at it. Right. And there's just this constant negative self-talk critical voice that keeps. And guess what? That chips away at your confidence. That now makes you going to doubt more the next time. So now I go, gosh, there's got to be a different way. And so I started thinking about when I've done other things just as a coach. Right. We see a cause and effect. We want to go, huh? I wonder why the ball went there. Now, when I'm a swing coach, we look at it just purely as physical, right? The club face was closed. Thus, I do that. Fine. But I go, there's got to be another thing here. And so I started looking at when I hit poor shots, instead of being judgmental, I would go into curiosity. I wonder why that ball went 40 yards left. Huh. Was that mental or physical? Now, most people just say it's physical, right? The swing club face went closed. But I started noticing a lot of my mistakes were being made because I wasn't committed to the shot in the first place. I was distracted. I had fear and I hit the shot anyways. That's on me. Okay. And there's sometimes on a post shot routine, I look at it and go, huh, it's not a very good shot. That ball went 40 yards left in the trees. I wonder why. Gosh, I felt good over it though, man. I felt ready. Then it's a physical. And I can at least move on going, was it mental? Was it physical? I want to make it clear to all the listeners, it's not about fixing anything in the round of golf. It's about processing it so I can actually move on in a more neutral state. Unfortunately, I had frustration that would just keep going. And the next shot, I would, my pre-shot routine would be very fast, very risky. I got to get that shot back. And then I make another mistake. And before you know it, I'm on the bogey train. Okay. So it's a matter of managing emotional state. So then the next shot, I'm in clear headed to where it helps. And so I've started seeing a cycle that was occurring in my own game and in my uh, students. There's a pre-shot. I want to be in a right emotional state. But I noticed my reaction after the shot was just really affecting everything else afterwards. So I became now more about learning and curiosity instead of judgment and being self-critical. The last thing on that is I'm not a believer in forget about the bad shot. I think that's really difficult. I do. And, and I think your head is going to keep spinning anyways of why that happened. Might as well deal with it in the moment um, and look at it from that lens of, hey, how can I learn from this? And that's the same thing when I do the playing lessons is that that shot went left. Somebody's going, oh, I can't believe it. I go, why? Oh, now that I think about it, Rick, that that lie was I didn't take into account that. Now that was a decision error that could be easily corrected now next time. 
But if I'm self-critical, I'm not going to learn and I'm going to make that same darn mistake the next time. So post-shower routine, manage emotions. Some of this last thing I, I'd like your feedback on, Corey, is managing expectations of our players. Okay. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, they hit that one great seven on 160 yards and they think that's their six iron. And then they leave it short for the next 15 shots and go, what is, what's wrong with this? So I think as coaches, we have to manage expectations of our players a little bit better too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love what you just said there too, because I, I have this cautionary tale for a lot of the players that I coach that I've seen it a lot of times where as your handicap goes down, what happens to your expectations, your expectations go up. And for me, the goal is to enjoy golf more. And when your expectations go up as your handicap drops, you can actually become more miserable and you're, and you're enjoying the game much less, even though your skills are getting better. So what you said there was, is Awesome. Yeah. I, I really love hearing that. And, and I want to jump on one more thing on the post-shot routine that most of the time I am teaching and coaching a post-shot routine because I'm managing negative emotions. I get that. But I do want to reinforce everybody who's listening is that when was the last time you celebrated a great shot? Okay. And along your lines, Corey, is when the player gets better, their expectations get higher, they're less likely to give themselves credit for any good shots. I'm supposed to do that. I go, you're not supposed to hit a five iron to three feet. Come on. Okay. Um, give yourself some credit. All I say to players is be fair to yourself. Yeah. You're going to get frustrated every now and then, but can you please give yourself a pat on the back when you make that 20 footer, when you hit that solid drive? And then why did that drive go so far and so straight? You may go, Rick, I was relaxed. I swung at 80%. Good. Let's learn from the great stuff. So the last thing is like for everybody out there is your memory. What you remember is associated with emotion. So, I remember a lot of my bad shots because I put a lot of negative emotion into it. Let's remember great shots too. Okay. Let's remember that we hit that shot so we can take it to the next one, so on and so forth. So it's not all about negativity here, but I, I want people to reinforce the good stuff out there too. Yeah. I, I love what you're saying there. And what I learned from listening to the podcast is how, if you have an effective post-shot routine, you can take an inventory of the things that work and don't work. And then, reestablish that into your intention in your pre-shot routine. So that kind of connects the loop as you, as you would call it to help you get to that spot more often, instead of throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and forgetting what sticks. Cause you, right. Yeah. Right. And, and I think as you know, as, as coaches, when we're, we're helping somebody on a range setting, uh, having them have the opportunity to say, hey, for 10 minutes of my hour, I'm going to work on my mental game. I'm going to work on my pre-shot routine. I'm going to work on my visualization skill. You know, for the last five balls, I'm going to do a few post-shot routines. We can introduce it that way. And people will see the benefits pretty quickly. They go, wow, I am more focused when I see the target. Or, yeah, I can see I need to ask some better questions after the shot so I can manage that better. So this is not about, you know, I'm now rah, rah, positive all the time. It's let's start to train that in practice. Let's take it on the course. And like Corey is saying, is like, let's enjoy the game more with using some of these mental skills. Rick, I'm realizing that I could have really used your content in college. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of like you. I was a hot-headed player. I would, you know, slap my hip at a missed putt or I would slam my putter in my bag or something like that. Um, when you get a new student that is kind of in that mindset, right? They're very emotional. They could be very mm -hmm. negative. How do you start to coach someone like that through 
into like changing those bad habits or improving that? Like what kind of practice can someone do on their own to say, okay, I hit a bad shot. I realize that I'm starting to feel negative emotion. What's, what's the change action look like? Great question. I, in, in, I think what I'm hearing from you is we have to have the students buy in, right? That this is actually something that's going to help them. Um, at the start, when I'm talking about mental game, they, they still go, yeah, 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 Rick, I get it. But I still need to work on my golf swing. I still need to work. On, I go, Fine. I think there's many puzzle pieces to this. Um, what, I, what, what I look at is I have a lot of people do uh, post-round assessment. Okay. And when they're honest with me, they start going, yeah, you're right, Rick. I think I made too many risky decisions at the end because I wanted to get shots back or yeah, I can sell that my, my frustration led to this. As long as we have that self-awareness tool again, then I say, do you want to do something about it? And that's kind of how blunt I am. Do you want to do something about this? Or do you want to keep on uh, being three over for the last four holes when you get all mad? <laughs> well, Rick, yeah, I want to. So I use score still as the as the way to to tie it back to there are processes we can do. Are you open to it? And they finally get to a point where they go, yeah, 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 I'm going to buy in. Okay, I think in the last few years, you know, when I get to use stories about Colin Morikawa and saying, hey, here's the one of the best players in the world. He's won two majors. He's been in pressure situations, and yet he still gets frustrated on a golf course. Okay. Yet that doesn't define him. The frustration only lasts for about 20 seconds. He deals with it and he moves on because he wants to be a great player. Great players are always learning and they're making the adjustments. And now that leads into um, uh, perseverance and mental toughness and, and grit and all these other things. So I, I, I do use examples and I'm fortunate I can use Colin and other players to say, hey, this is how they're actually thinking. This is you guys want this perfect swing you see on Instagram all the time. How about this mindset over here? How about thinking of being somebody who can deal with um, a, a bad bounce and deal with a bad rules official and all that stuff? How, don't you want to be that type of player? So I talk a lot about more of identity-based stuff um, and how they want to be. Um, but usually I have to tie it back to results, right? This is going to help this. And there has to be a buy-in. Not everybody buys in as much as I would love them to. Um, so hopefully that answers it. I know I got a little sidetracked on that. No, that's, that's exactly what I was asking. And, and, uh, I love that you really hit on buy-in, right? You have to realize that there's a problem in order to fix the problem, or you have to realize that you can improve somewhere in order to actually take the steps to improve. So I think that's great. Um, we understand that you work closely with Colin. You've talked about him quite a bit up to this point. Um, can you kind of tell us how you began working with him and how you got to know him as a player? Sure. No, it's it a great story. Um, so I was teaching at this public golf course uh, in Glendale, California, and it's a little executive. It's pretty good range. And uh, I was a full-time teacher at the end of the range, and I'm just lesson after lesson after lesson. And I worked with a lot of very good juniors at the time. And I see uh, this eight-year-old kid and uh, – obviously it was his father walking towards me and the father said, Hey, I understand, you know, you work with um, some juniors. Um, he's gone through some group classes. Would you mind maybe working with him? And I said, oh, okay, sure. I'll, I'll see it and, and see him hit a few balls. And he hits the first couple. I go, you bet. Uh, let's work when we can start. Right. And what I already saw in him was obviously athleticism. He had taken group lessons, you know, and stuff like that. But, I'm only half joking on that is that what I really enjoyed in the first few meetings with an eight-year-old was his attention, 
He was very focused in an hour session, which is not easy for an eight-year-old. Um, he was very coachable. Okay. Um, when he asked a question, it was very thought out. And I'm going, huh, this is different. This is this is awesome as a coach, right? And as it progressed, and I would see him once a week, every Tuesday afternoon from the age of eight to 18 until he left for college, um, that relationship grew. And, and I, yes, I was his swing coach and his mental coach and putting coach and all that stuff. Um, it's just, I was, and again, I'm very proud of it, is to be a part of that journey and having, he had great parents. The parents were supportive. They wanted to do, to help him play the game of what he loved. Colin loves playing golf. He's not playing golf to win tournaments per se. He loves playing golf and he wants to be the best he can be at it. And that was different too. When you, when Corey and I work with juniors, it's like, yeah, they're obsessed with now rankings and AJGA and recruiting. And I get that's important, please. It is. But now they start doing it for the wrong reasons and you start seeing a disconnect. They get burned out quite quickly. Colin says, he told me this, he told media the, uh, a couple of months ago, he goes, he loves golf more now than he did when he was a 14 year old. He loves traveling. He loves playing all these different courses. He loves the competition. So to me, you have this intrinsic motivation of loving something. And I always saw that in him that I don't always see with juniors throughout all of those different steps. And so it's been an obviously an, an awesome journey. And I get to go to all these great courses and these great tournaments and learn I'll be honest with you. I, I hope he's still learning from me. I think he is, but I'm learning from him. I'm learning from the pressures and all the things that go around uh, being a major championship winner and all the, and learning he's at Ryder cup and he's paired with DJ and we get, it, it's a, it's awesome experience uh, to say the least. And, and we have similar mindsets where he's a very curious person and he asks great questions. And if I don't have the answer, I go try to find it somewhere else. Um, so, you know, I get very excited, obviously, talking about that um, and very proud, but he's such a great young man um, and he represents the game in, in a wonderful way. Uh, but all those juniors out there, I want you to do it for the right reasons, not because your parents are making you or anything like that. Let, let's love the game. Yeah, there's some down parts. We shoot 85 and we want to throw our clubs in the lake. I get it. But let's let's remember why we're playing this game. And it's such a great sport. Um, and I think Colin exudes that. Uh, doesn't mean he's always happy on the course, everybody. Uh, but afterwards, he wants to get better. And he realizes um, what a great sport we have. Couldn't have said it better myself. Everybody who has a junior listening or is a junior listening, please play the game because <laughs> you love it. I Yes, let's <laughs> sing it from the rooftops. I just... I think that's such a great point. And I'm so happy to hear that that's how Colin has been. It sounds like basically his entire life playing golf, Definitely. which is a, a really, a really cool thing. That's, that's kind of a gem in, in golf and in the sports world. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, while, we're, while we're on, sorry, excuse me, Holly, while we're still on the, uh, the subject of you working with Colin as a youngster, what, advice would you give to coaches and parents on how to keep golf enjoyable and for the kids and, and what kinds of things are you working on, particularly with better players to make sure that they don't get burnout on the competition and that they actually, it's something they look forward to. Great question. Uh, if I go back to more of the 12 to 15 um, year old is 
I do want them, and and we've already used the word earlier in in the podcast about development. So I am more about a long-term development than a short-term fixes. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of parents, especially not the kids, but then the kids start to believe this too. Uh, I'm a 12-year-old. I didn't get any ranking points in US kids and oh my gosh, the end of the world. And I'm like, how can we make you better in six months, regardless of if it's ranking points or, you know, and a lot of people are so short-sighted in their game development. They don't look at big picture. Okay. Colin never won an AJGA event. So we have a joke that says, I think you can win one now. Okay. But how was that going to, I mean, yes, it's nice to win an AJGA event, but that didn't define him as a successful junior. He was getting better and better and better and better and better. And you can see that through all of his scoring average. You can see he has the lowest scoring average of all time in college for a a season. Okay. And yet coming out, there were some people who were surprised at his consistency. I said, the guy 50% of the time was in the top five in a college event. He's been consistent his whole life because every day he shows up to be at his best, to be focused, to be and, and get back into those behavioral goals we talked about. So my first goal is to make sure a player and a parent are looking at long-term development over short-term fixes. Okay, That's one thing. I think the other part, and maybe it's coming across in the podcast, hopefully, is that I'm highly energetic and I do like to have fun in my in my coaching. I do like to trash talk. I do like to have competitions. I do like to have games because I want the, the player to associate golf more than just the score. And they come back to that next session and they want a piece of me. And they go, OK, Rick, oh, let's do flop shots today. I go, great. OK, so I want them to look forward to it. Right. Because I know playing competitive golf, it is it, it beats you up. It does. So I'm trying to create different associations for that. The other thing which I haven't talked too much about is is wrapping in goals with motivation. I'll, I want people to have goals. I do. And it, we want scoring goals. We want to uh, be an All-American. Great. But then it's back to what are the processes behind it? What in your control can you do? What's your work ethic? And enjoying getting better and better and better at that. And that's a whole other ball game. But um, I, I, and I remind people, why are you playing this game? Simple question, but very challenging for people to answer. Why do you play golf? I play golf now maybe 10 times a year. I get to play with good friends on good golf courses and I have a ball. Okay. In college, it was, oh my gosh, I got to compete. When I was a pro, this is my career. And it was different reasons. I enjoy golf more now than I ever have, by the way, uh, because I think my reasons are more intrinsic and they're more aligned with, with where I'm at. So I could go on a whole other thing like that. Hopefully that answers that. No, that was great. And I, I think what you said can be true for anybody who wants to play golf, having the intention of wanting to be there and and tapping into what it is that brings you joy about the game helps you stay in that that frame of mind that the gratitude is is one of the flow triggers you mentioned and it's sort of amazing how quickly you lose sight of those things we have the luxury of being on a beautiful golf course it sits up on a hill you see the front range of denver and i after listening to the podcast too i i mentioned one of the the interesting triggers that can actually help your your autonomic nervous system calm down is to just take a deep breath look at the front range look at this wide view and just remind yourself this is a game and we're having a lot of fun how lucky am i to just be here right now after that deep breath do you feel a little bit better all right now 
go hit it over the gully on number three. <laughs> so it's exactly. <laughs> yeah. I really like what you're saying. Cause it's, it's starting from a young age. If you can instill it in them, it, it helps yeah. it be enjoyable for their whole, their whole life. Exactly. Exactly. I definitely started enjoying the game way more after I passed my PAT. Yeah. <laughs> the day I passed it, I walked into Jerry Hogg's office, our, our director of our PGM program. And I said, Jerry, I never have to play golf again. And he looked at me and was like, no, that's not what this is. This means. And I said, no, no, no. I never have to p- play and worry about my score ever again and that was a big deal it was a huge weight lifted off because i the the pressure of competition the pressure of letting a team down was always so 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 much for me i did not grow up playing on a team my high school was too small i played as an individual the entire time and then jumping right into a very recognized division three team it's like oh my gosh i now have six other girls that are playing today that I cannot let them down. And it's just such a stressor, but it's amazing. Corey, to your point, um, talking about the views at Colorado golf club on a podcast are, are, they don't do it justice, but just look around at your scenery. We get to play a lot of beautiful properties, beautiful golf courses. Look at the people that you're playing with. If you like them, Um, you know, that, that can all just reset your mindset. So I think that's key. Love it. Rick, I have been absolutely fascinated by what I've learned today. Um, I think this is such great content that could really help coaches everywhere in golf. Um, If I am a PGA professional or an instructor, how do I get involved with Flow Code Academy? Wonderful. Well, thank you. Again, thank you for the opportunity to share. I'm very passionate about mental performance and because I believe it can help us on and off the golf course. And so if we have these skills and stuff that can help us deal with ups and downs of life and such, then I think I'm I'm being, making a big impact on the world. And so I've been very fortunate with my team at, at flowcode.golf, flowcode.golf, where we have both for the consumer, the, the golfer out there that wants to improve their mental game. We have an online platform and, and community. And the those coaches out there, which uh, like Corey and stuff, is that we, we want to become complete uh, coaches. We want to help people with some of these other elements. Um, like somebody like Corey already has a great toolbox of it. And maybe I give a couple more tools to the toolbox of helping our players enjoy the game more, play better. And we have a coach certification um, through through flowcode.golf that somebody can go online and we do some interactive stuff. I do webinars uh, every quarter. And um, and what we're looking at is to have a community of coaches that are all helping each other and moving this forward to help golfers to remember play better, but as we've talked about, enjoy the game. So I appreciate you letting me uh, talk about that today. Absolutely. And I hope I hope our listeners take advantage of your content. Um, please visit the website and uh, look at the videos that are posted there and get involved with Flow Code Golf Academy. I think it's incredible. Wonderful. And we have that the plug back to the podcast. We have one. It's called Flow Golf and it's on uh, Spotify and Apple. And uh, those are free. And, um, you know, sometimes we'll bring some some uh, people in to interview. Uh, but most of the time, it's, it's my partner, Hallam, and I just kind of riffing on different uh, subject matters. Well, Rick, I will definitely have to give that a listen. Um, thank you so much for your time and spending this last uh, hour with us chatting about Flow Code. And Corey, I'll turn it over to you. Anything to add? No, just thank you to Rick. Thank you, Holly, for 
inviting me to be a part of this. Uh, I didn't have that expectation when I ran to you with uh, <laughs> what I found from the flow code and how excited I was about Rick. So this has been a tremendous opportunity to, to get to chat with Rick and I look forward to doing it again sometime. Yeah.